0: This episode is solemnly dedicated to longtime reporter and personal friend, Amy Sachs, who tragically died at the age of 38 last week. She was a good person whose human goodness and warmth will be missed. Rest in peace, Amy. Hey y'all, welcome back to Tropical Depression. As we record this week's intro, severe weather is hammering the state capitol. Fittingly, a political storm is also brewing in the government here in Tallahassee, with an establishment backed majority pursuing a profoundly unpopular tax hike, and on the same day, proposing to overhaul the city government to make major structural changes. We'll continue to follow this, and towards that end, this week's guest is Leon County Commissioner David O'Keefe. I know, I know, back-to-back local government people after last week's episode with St. Pete City Councilmember Richie Floyd, but I know that's okay with the people who are listening to this because you are a special kind of sickos. We talked with friend of the show and verified patron, Commissioner O'Keefe, about what it's like to serve his progressive Leon County constituency just across the street from the crookery of the Governor's Club crowd how real estate and developer interests always seem to poison the conversation about growth in Florida, and much more. We thank him for coming on and hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening to Tropical Depression. What's going on, Commissioner?
1: Not much, man, not much. Uh, Doing lots of interviews today and getting ready to finish a bunch of housework after being out of town. So, uh, you know, just a normal day being a commissioner, went to press conference and stopped at the old Ace Hardware to buy a couple of nuts and bolts. And uh, now do a couple interviews.
0: Very cool. How would the interviews go?
1: Went well, it was just a quick 12 minutes with Steve. Um, he sent the questions ahead of time. He wanted to talk about the park, homelessness, outcome, workshop outcomes, uh, violence and uh, the number one thing people, you know, issue people have. So it was good. Okay. I don't know. I think he's. Uh, I think he likes me, which is nice. How are you doing? did y'all have a meeting yesterday?
0: No, no. We're. Um, we have our next meeting is coming up next Wednesday, and then of course we have our uh, our Great Blueprint meeting, which is going to be a blast. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Uh, which we can't talk about too much.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I won't be talking on anyone else's behalf, just my own. And
1: in fact, um, Chastity Osteen sent out a terrifying memo with this, um, fourth appellate court, um, upholding a sunshine law violation, just like the judge tearing into officials. And it was so sufficiently terrifying. Okay. I don't know the job. I let her know her point came across. Uh, but, uh, the specific case was during COVID three commissioners, the, the city manager canceled a meeting because of COVID and three commissioners just said, F that we're going to go to the dark chambers, not turn on the lights and hold a meeting. Um, and they're in, two of them are in jail for that, so
0: anyways. Wow. Yeah. Sunshine laws continue to exist and be a factor only for people in local government.
1: Yes, yes.
0: One thing I noticed working at the, the you know, I, I'm sure you've known this, that Sunshine really doesn't apply to like legislators. I mean, because they don't enforce it or it just doesn't apply? It just doesn't apply to legislators. It's It's just in the statute. It's like every government except themselves.
1: Interesting. I guess I wonder who writes the statute.
0: Yeah, yeah, I wonder too. Yeah, it applies to some state agencies and that kind of thing. But that's that's being eroded too. Yeah. Cool. Um. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and and get started. I appreciate you making time.
1: This is my first podcast interview, so you tell me what the you know structure is.
0: Perfect. I'd say at least thirty minutes, probably trying for an hour. We'll definitely get us out of here well ahead of three. Cool. Um. And I am also a member now, Patreon subscriber. Oh my gosh. Hey, wow. Friend of the show officially. Friend
1: of the show. And uh yeah, I, I liked it's actually I didn't put preemptions on here because I thought these were some alternative things people don't really hear. And I figure most of your audience is political wonks, um, and not necessarily general publics yet.
0: Yeah, there's some of them for sure. Um and I think, you know, one one thing that we want to do with this podcast is to kind of grow a, a vocabulary that everyone can use across the state. Yeah. Um You know, my guest today is Leon County Commissioner, David O'Keefe. Commissioner, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. So I guess one thing that I want to do with the show is kind of create more, uh, kind of demystify the political uh, machinations that happen up here in the nation's capital. You know, Tallahassee, Leon County, the capital county that, uh, that you represent as a commissioner, it's kind of an abstraction to most people. So I guess tell us a little bit about where you're from, uh, how how you came into this. And I think, you know, a lot of people believe, like I do, that le- local government is such an important place to confront and participate in what's going on in the life of our state. And just tell us a little bit about how this came to be the place that you intervened and, and how you got involved with all this.
1: Uh, I'd say by a series of accidents, uh, which is probably the best way to become a public servant. I, I was born in Connecticut, but I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, came here to Tallahassee, to go to the Florida State University in 2003 and stayed. Um, I really fell in love with Tallahassee as a not yet Jacksonville. It was it was uh, smaller. Uh, I, in high school, I drove 45 minutes an hour each way to you know to school each day, and y- you could drive 20 minutes and be at the opposite of t- opposite side of town here. And so uh, I got involved in following local government probably around here around 2010 2011 in a lot of the. Local city scandals that were being covered in the news, infamous, um, yeah. You know, uh, local politics fans will remember the name Erwin Jackson and some other folks who dug up, um, who dug up some, you know, cronyism and corruption that uh, something's ultimately landed people in federal prison. And I started to. I, I, my background is a CPA. This whole time I was being a CPA. I had no interest in being in politics. I didn't think that was a possibility. I volunteered on a presidential campaign. Then I volunteered on some local campaigns. And um, I watched what our uh, commissioners were talking about. And it just bugged me in a very, in the way to keep it very polite, it bugged me. And the more meetings I went to just to observe things on certain issues, I thought, these people aren't super geniuses. Like, I'm not saying they're dumb, but there's not that much special about them, except for they had an opportunity to choose this. Um, uh, career and to run for this, which is you have to have a unique set of circumstances to be put in a good position to do that. And I decided once I paid off my student loans that uh, a couple years ago that I would run for local government because there's one thing to, to volunteer and advocate and get people in office. And I said, forget it. I get to, I'd get i rather be there and get to make the vote on the commission. Uh, so I quit my job uh, to run and uh, I won. And now I'm serving my first term.
0: What's it been like? You know, I think that local government is such a uh, a specific milieu, and it's got to be crazy, right, Um, taking on those responsibilities in the context of the state stuff that everyone knows so well. What has it been like? What's been the biggest surprise? Those kinds of questions initially. I want to kind of bring everybody into, I think that Leon County and Tallahassee politics is intrinsically interesting. And I kind of want to introduce everybody to the cast of characters here, because I think it has blessings for people all across the state. So tell us a little bit about what, what it's been like, what you expect, didn't expect, that, that kind of stuff.
1: It's been a lot of fun. It has been lower pressure than my prior jobs, which I don't know, I think people might be surprised by that. Um, I was chief finance officer before this for a, a media organization, public media. This has so far been less stress and it's been a lot more fun. Um, it is the most fun job I've had, but I always preface that with, I haven't been in any major controversies yet. So may it always be that way. You know, I expected a bureau- a bureaucratic process that would make it difficult to make progressive changes. Um, I expected to be the by far most progressive commissioner on our County Commission. And um, I did not expect to be able to just submit my ideas and have them majority approved and move forward. Um, so those things are not surprising to me. What surprised me was on the good side is you know there's um, for folks who don't know this is really a democratic area. You know, with maybe a rare exception, I think all local county county commission officials are uh, personally registered Democrat. Um, but that divides in a way local government does a lot. And I'll just say it as sort of pro-developer, pro-unlimited growth versus uh, maybe pro-citizen, pro um, sort of progress and new ideas and changing the status quo, not necessarily in a network. And so I think that's where the lines fall. I will say it has been easier to get along with the folks on the other side of those issues than me, because at least the county people have been very nice. And, you know, other commissioners who I supported their opponents have given me genuine advice, some of which I take, some of which I disagree with, but it's it's truly been genuine and things have been run very cordially here. There's not you know um, too many shenanigans. So that's been positively surprising. What was also surprising, not positively, is like the self-censorship and um, sort of moderating what I say now that I'm an elected official. And so um, that's been surprising. And it's something I've been you know, working out for myself as to, you know, what language I use and how I use my platform and my voice as a, an elected official versus as a candidate versus as some accountant um, and some some folks, friends in the neighborhood.
0: Describe the district, if you would, what kind of district people and and, um, and land area here in Leon County do you represent?
1: The smartest, best community district there is. <laughs> it, it actually includes the capital, state capital, getting on the furthest western border. It starts downtown, um, encompassing City Hall, state capital, the county courthouse, and it heads out east to the edge of the county. Um, the line is kind of zigzag, but on the northern border, it's either Mayhan or Miccosukee Road, um, all the way out to the edge of the county. And on the southern border, it follows roughly Appalachia Parkway until you get to Capitol Circle. And then it drops all the way down to Tram Road to encompass Southwood. And, and for general purpose, from there on, out to the east, it is Tram Road all the way up to Mayhem Drive. Uh, so it, include, it includes downtown, it includes Midtown. Parts of Midtown includes uh, Indian Head. It includes um, all kinds of Appalachia Parkway stuff, um, Buck Lake, Southwood, Chairs. Um, Capitola. So it, it covers a very broad category of, of land and people.
0: So the most um, urbanized aspects of the county, you know, deep blue areas, state workers and stuff like uh, like Indian Head, all the way out to suburban newer communities, out all the way to, to areas with a rural character. Absolutely. So getting into the work of, of the county commission, what do county commissions do? And what is the material that you generally are voting on?
1: there's a lot of annual stuff you know budget reports Um, we coordinate a lot with our sheriff who is a separate elected official um, who we fund the budget and then we we coordinate with the city of tallahassee on a number of things Um, and i'd say there's some hot issues that we're tackling we've had some special workshops on that um, we've been able to focus on like affordable housing and homelessness i will say though a lot of what we focus on is land use on approvals for zoning changes, on comp plan language, um, land use, land use, land use, um, I think is a lot of what we focus on.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's one thing I want to kind of talk about with the podcast is how essential, you know, local governments, what we do is basically make decisions on basically what should go where. Um, And I think we see just like uh, we see similar formations, like you talked about, the elected officials that are there to represent the neighborhoods that are animated by a, a zeal for good government in and in a point of view in that direction, good urban planning is, is an impulse that you see often in local government. And it kind of conflicts whether by a Republican or Democrat in name, you have this sphere of financial capital, uh, real estate developer, land-owning class that, that becomes this calcified political interest that I think really is a driving force in almost every local government that you'll see. Um, and it must, be, it must be interesting to deal with that. To jump into one thing right away, I, I think one thing that a lot of our listeners will be familiar with was there was kind of a, a recent push. There's kind of a PR effort, a few news stories, and a few pieces of legislation that addressed supposed dangerous conditions um, in downtown Tallahassee. To hear it from some, uh, Florida Politics Editor Peter Shorsch, I think working with some, some folks in the Adam Street kind of uh, area of things. Uh, from that from from that lobbyist milieu, basically characterized t- downtown Tallahassee as a place uh, where r- you know, rummaging criminals uh, menace people. What's your sense of that? What do you hear in the community, from your people locally about about downtown and um, how has that played into you know some of the discussions? Right now, I think you said that you're having an ongoing just had a workshop about homelessness. Um talk a little bit about about those things in that context.
1: You know when you talk about criminals downtown, my constituents, people I talk to, who live in Tallahassee, they do not talk about homeless people or panhandlers. They talk about the criminals who go to the Capitol and the criminals who go um, and do statutes. And that's what their issue is. It's not criminals who are panhandlers. Um, you know, it is, I'm sure that the folks you, you mentioned who complained about it, I'm sure they feel scared looking at someone who's not in a suit on their way to the Capitol. But my, my office is downtown. I'm sitting here right now. I'm looking at the state Capitol and I'm perfectly safe walking anywhere in downtown. Uh, and uh, um, I think back there was, I thought, fo- you know, we followed it. We followed on Twitter during session. And there was this one person I don't, they work for a lobbying firm or something like that. And they kept posting like an empty lasagna pan in front of their office on the sidewalk. And they're like day seven, I wonder when the city is going to send up, send someone to clean this empty lasagna pan from a panhandler. And I just thought, You've wasted all this time instead of picking up a piece of trash and putting it in the trash can. Thank you, dedicated community member of whom we should listen to for how we develop our community.
0: You know, the lasagna pans, really, um, they'll get you. I wonder, so listeners will know, this is the first episode that we've had since huge news with Duval County and Jacksonville elections, surprising a lot of people, surprising me. As a long-time, uh, a long-time observer of Florida politics and seeing Republicans get most of the jump balls in competitive elections, but you saw Donna Deegan and a Democrat win a huge um, election out there in in Duval County and the city of Jacksonville. Our first episode listeners will note was with Nate Monroe talking about these things and the sort of downtown uh, class donor class syndicate that he calls it and how it intersects with with um, with Tallahassee. Tell me about some as someone who's Spent a lot of time in Jacksonville and now spending a lot of time in, Jack- in Tallahassee, um, including representing it. What do you see as some key differences and what kind of sticks in your mind when it comes to this side versus that side of I-10?
1: I think the differences, unfortunately, unfortunately, starting to disappear. Uh, I'd say the differences are you have just uncontrolled sprawl in Jacksonville. There's no there's very little protective zoning and land use rules. It's just uncontrolled sprawl. There's a lot of um, that donor uh, donor class, uh, leadership class, downtown class that just doesn't have any local citizens following it and they can get away with what they want. And honestly, I want to give Nate Monroe credit because I think we're not for him moving to Jacksonville and doing uh, covering Metro that people wouldn't be paying attention. Because one thing that uh, Jacksonville does is they have, if I understand right, and this wasn't just a special thing, their local elections are off year, not only off years, they're off. There's no other election. I think they just have an yeah. election in March. And so nobody is paying attention. Your average citizen is not paying attention. And um, and so they just can do what they want. But I think more people are paying attention because of the coverage of the JEA scandals, where they tried to corruptly sell off one of the largest municipal electricity organizations. And then people are paying attention. I think the other thing is, then that's a the difference. Here, people pay attention. A lot of people who live here are state workers. A lot of people who live here work for nonprofit associations that are represent um, statewide interests. A lot of people here are in government. We see it. A lot of the session, even if you don't work with it, it impacts you know the festivities and the events we have, and so we follow things more closely. And we've yeah. had more corruption be exposed, and so people pay attention more. Um, We have a very engaged citizenry um, compared to, say, Jacksonville. And I think people are realizing, maybe hopefully before the last tree gets cut down, that they need to get involved or else it's just going to keep going the way it goes.
0: I think you're so right about that. You know, I'm reading a book right now, University Press Florida book about the experiment with consolidation in Jacksonville, which we'll talk about more on the show. But it seems to me there's a consensus that is essentially kind of like a a desegregation area, kind of a white flight move for suburbanite white uh, folks, affluent communities to kind of bigfoot the political pressure and kind of gerrymander out urban dwellers largely Black people, people of a more progressive persuasion, frankly, people that you see in Tallahassee. Um, And I think that the progressive nature of Tallahassee's politics, when it hasn't kind of had this artificial lid on it of corruption and the bottleneck of power that Scott Maddox era brought uh, to our local politics, which in many ways, as you know, still... Welcome
1: home, Scott Maddox, of course.
0: Welcome home. Yes, welcome home, Um, Scott. He is out. Um, But in many ways, the era of government in as much as person personnel can be policy, it's still sort of ongoing. What's it like to navigate a local government with all the Adam Street, you know, threats to local government that we're seeing? The transactional governor's club class having such an outsized voice. What's it like to to participate in the amelioration and, and compromise within your community with those voices kind of always, always there on the outside, kind of biting at your ankles?
1: You know, um, for the county, specifically. I don't feel yet, I don't feel a lot of pressure from those interests. I think my campaign made it clear that my doorway is not open to those interests. And so maybe they just saved myself time and them time to not contacting me. And so I also think that the county doesn't get as much attention for better or worse because we don't create so many controversies. Um, And so we don't get in the news much. And a lot of the main functions of our city Um, you know, we're not consolidated, but the large majority of our county is made up of the city of Tallahassee, you know, so that directs and, you know, you have a budget at the city three times the size of the county. And I think that that takes the attention of those those interests you described. Um, And so, you know, I haven't seen it too much if they're, you know, they may be letting other commissioners know what they think. um, And that may come up in the commission meetings, but because we have sunshine laws, I don't get to know about that. And I haven't seen any egregious, uh, you know, outlandish statements or positions um, on issues like that so far. But I'm sure we will Um, now. But that does lead to I don't think they need to mess with the counties because I think those lobbyists and interest, special interests have decided they just go to the state and they just preempt everything we can do. And so they don't need to fool with us because um, they can just go to the state and it's a lot easier for them just to remove all authority from us.
0: We saw an absolutely, you know, ridiculous example of this with the state basically taking uh, Gainesville's utility away from the elected representatives of the people of Gainesville to uh, a board appointed by Governor DeSantis. Obviously, one of the many uh, we talked about this with Councilmember Floyd um, extensively. The, the overreaches from across the street—it's got to feel ex- especially vivid when it's right across the street, there, right?
1: It's especially vivid. And it's especially vivid for a new commissioner who got in. Uh, and decided to run on affordable housing and the lack of affordable housing. And that's where they're hitting us. Uh, and so another big thing they did this year was this big affordable housing push where they preempted all authority, you know, at local governments to, to, to interact with the landlord tenant agreement, but they packaged it with putting in like, I think seven, 800 million um, of Sadowski trust uh, housing funds and everyone's like, oh, well, at least we got this money. Well, I'll believe that money when it comes out. The other thing is people forget they have been raiding that trust fund for 20 years. The overall amount they have yanked and put towards other things like corporate tax cuts is $2.3 billion. So whatever $700 million they traded for full-on preemptions is merely a down payment on what they owe.
0: Yeah, it's a classic Tallahassee two-step bait and switch there. Um, this is a major issue. You know, this so-called hilariously kind of Orwellian titled Live Local Act, which basically um, is kind of reminds me of, of what special interests and FPNL tried to do uh, at JEA, frankly, which was pay off a bunch of people who are at the table right then for a taxpayer obligation in perpetuity in the future. Um, yeah, obviously, I think that housing and land use is best left to the people, the level close to the people, because it's more efficient. <laughs> you're the actual people that are familiar with that, and that's exactly where they tried to extract the most authority this session. I find it, um, I find it sad and and, and, and kind of crazy. But yeah, I agree. I think that they'll go straight across the street to the Capitol anymore. They do,
1: and it's it's uh, you're going to hear me say this when you ask me about any of these things. It's it's going to be my reaction is I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, when you look at local races, um, I have family in St. John's County. And so when I go and visit, I kind of saw the signage and the, and the posters during the campaign. And Republicans are running against out of control development, too. This is an issue that is a community issue that crosses um, party boundaries. And when it gets to be a big enough issue in your neighborhood and local races, people want to know who's going to stick up for them, not whether you're an R or D.
0: Absolutely. It seems to be, and we see this locally with uh, developer-backed uh, special interest front groups playing heavily. Uh, on one hand, they're trying to corrupt and maneuver the comp plan system, uh, the comp plan amendments in a way that basically just maximizes highest uses and densities uh, way way out. It basically obligates taxpayers in town to kind of a, a Ponzi scheme-like system to subsidize future growth. It, we see this consistently. And I, I just, I, I can't stop you know, but wonder what is their vision ultimately? Republicans often brag about the growth of the state, but if we're not able to responsibly manage it, where does that leave us?
1: I am concerned and, I, you know, we react each session and advocate. You know, I went down to speak against the bill and committee, the tenant landlord preemption. And, and like I said in there, that that wasn't for the legislators because they already decided. That was for bringing public pressure. And I think that's all we can do is try to bring public pressure to let our constituents know hey, these are the people taking away your rights to elect people to do what you want them to do in your community. And next year, when you come back and yell at me that another development's going up and it's, you know, draining all its sewage and its stormwater into your area neighborhood because it wasn't planned right. I'm sorry, wish I could help you, but you have to talk to the state who won't talk with you unless you're, uh, unless you make donations. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's it's disheartening, but we, here's what we can do so far. And this is a pitch I always want to make, and I'm making this year is, you know, the number one thing I hear from people is about development. We send out a monthly newsletter, and you know, during the campaign and everything, we can put up whatever we want about policy on social media. But if we put up a dog or a cat, we're going to get huge engagement. And so our email newsletter goes out. We've got a, a dog on there, you know, a cute dog. You know, adopt this dog from the shelter. And we always include a link separately to all the current commercial and residential developments six times the number of people clicked on the development list as our cute dog um and all our neighborhood associated meetings we go to they're talking about development and uh, i want to come back to because i could spend hours on this what i've learned is when a, a proposed zoning change comes up to a commission and the neighborhood comes and says here's all the reasons that you don't you don't shouldn't approve it that's a quasi-judicial hearing that the commissioners are not allowed to just vote on what's right or wrong we, we get sued and it overturned if it's not based on exactly evidence-based adherence to the comprehensive plan text. So, but what I've learned is we have to follow those rules then, but even under the state statutes as they are, we have wide latitude to put whatever rules in the comprehensive plan text we want. So what we need to do is push our community input forward to go into the comp plan amendments, which we'll be having community input sessions this fall. And I'm encouraging every community member that ever imagines to go to a commission meeting against development to come now instead so we can get the rules in the comp plan that you want. And then staff, you know, big, bad staff is always gonna approve what meets minimum requirements. And if we don't make the rules what we want, as soon as we make the rules what we want, staff is gonna follow those rules. That's what I've seen so far. And so that's a, a big issue, and I'm trying to promote to everyone I talk to, get in this year and get community input on what you want in your neighborhood in the comp plan changes that are coming up this year and next year.
0: We'll make sure to uh, put links to those materials in the show notes. I really appreciate that. And I definitely agree that that's where, as a local commissioner, you kind of have to be fighting on both fronts, right, about what's before you. And meanwhile, this, the scope of what it can be brought before you um, is, is flying right over your head all the time.
1: It, it is. And... You mentioned, you know, developer interest, work the comp plan thing, it, it's it's systemic. Look at this. Um, everyone has lives and they have kids and jobs and they don't, they're not following all the local government until the project comes up in their neighborhood. But the people whose full-time job is to get developments approved, they know when the comp plan text changes are coming and it's their career to keep what they want in there. And so it's an um, asymmetry of information um, for all those uh, um, economics nerds out there that, we, that I try to correct.
0: We've seen uh, what a corrosive influence that Organized Developer and Real Estate Capital has been on, on our politics. And we'll continue to uh, talk about that this summer. And uh, I appreciate your good work and, and, and helping to stand up against it on both fronts. It's not very many local elected officials that, uh, that
1: testify. I love it. And, and for talking about corruption, for any FBI agent listening, I would love to be an informant for public corruption. So for anybody who listens who wants to be corrupt, know that I might be an informant. And for any FBI, my number is available. I can't wait to be an informant for public corruption.
0: So a lot of focus has been spent on the homelessness issue, I think in local governments around the state. Tell me a little bit about the, um, you just, you, you're just coming off a, a county workshop that's regarding this issue. Tell me just a little bit about what the scope of, of what the views are that people are trying to accomplish here. I know they're different. Just tell us a little bit about what the different prevailing views are and then what you brought to the table and what exactly was done here in the capital city, uh, in the capital county about about the issue, so to speak.
1: Yeah, I think the, the, the spectrum of views is consistent with what places are seeing nationwide because it is a nationwide problem. Some communities are doing better than others. Some communities are doing much better than us. Um, one of the views that, that is not shared by me is public homelessness being viewable, whether it be panhandlers or people just being out in public in the parks, sleeping or whatever, is a nuisance and is is intimidating and scary. And it's going to shut down our businesses and it ruins our neighborhoods. And we just got to make it illegal and get them off the street by whatever means necessary. Uh, and it's you know not our fault they're homeless. And so... They shouldn't be making me uncomfortable on my drive to work or my walking the dog. Um, then there are folks that would say, oh, we have such great homelessness resources that other areas bus people to our area. And so if we make better resources, more people are going to get bust here.
0: Our social safety net is too good.
1: It's too good. It's so good. That's why we still have the problem. And I, I to that, I, I think, you know, what other problem do we not solve because what happen again if we flood every year do we not try to fix flooding because it might flood again and more water might come no um that's just i think an excuse to not help people and then you have you have people who are who say you know we the way to get people off the streets is provide housing and those people line up with evidence-based results nationwide providing a housing first option providing permanent supportive housing which by the way uh, is less expensive than housing people in an emergency shelter, which is less expensive than housing people in a detention center for breaking uh, panhandling or camping ordinance. So not only is this compassionate thing to do, the effective thing to do, but it's the most economical thing to do. Um, and then you have, you have an interesting one and other folks say, you know what, there's some people, they're all drug addicts and that, mostly drug addicts and mental health. So, and they want to be out there, just find a, a place and put them out somewhere in, one, in a camping area, which, you know, has its pros and cons, but um, is certainly not a solution. And so I'd say those are generally your views that, that you hear.
0: The idea that we, want, we just need to crack heads and arrest our way at, through this problem. How is that received uh at the meeting i know that view is certainly presented where, where did everyone fall
1: um it it didn't uh <laughs> nobody nobody explicitly used the word crackheads or anything like that um i think it the conversation was very polite for the most part with uh, one exception and i think the polite thing people were talking about was people have mental health and drug abuse issues and that we need help we need to get them help with that i think um the reception for getting people off the street and an ordinance against soliciting uh, in the median was our businesses are suffering, and you know we have to do something about this because our businesses are closing. It's hard enough to be a local business, and these folks aren't necessarily homeless, which is the information we got from our homeless outreach team. They they reported that a large majority of panhandlers are not homeless or are transient, so they they want to move along a few days anyways. They want to take housing. And I think that's the the kind of the reception is supportive of an ordinance because, you know, we need to do something, um, not necessarily because we want to lock them up. But the reality is when you create an ordinance with a penalty, you enforce the penalty and you make it worse. So essentially,
0: are new criminal penalties being created from this process?
1: Perhaps. And so we um, approved that staff bring back a draft ordinance against soliciting in the median. This is different in a a, a smaller scope than an ordinance against camping and and panhandling that was turned down last year. Mm -hmm. Um, And this approach only applies to the median, and it applies to anyone holding a sign, political candidates, volunteer firefighters raising money, um, anyone. And it's based on safety. So while some people may think about it being about homelessness— if, we t- if it's about homelessness, it's going to get struck down in court as unconstitutional, but if it's safety and it's too many median injuries, that's one thing. And so this ordinance, I'm not sure, we haven't seen yet what the criminal penalties would be, um, but it's only a median. It's only certain medians. And so people could still, they just have to stand on the sidewalk. Um, so it's less consequential. But I did have actually input from somebody in um, the homeless advocate community, and I haven't verified this yet, but they report that if you have ordinances like this that are seen as somewhat anti-homeless, that when you apply for federal grant money for supportive housing, you they ask if you have these ordinances and it takes away from your sort of grant application scoring. So not only would it not be effective, but it would make more homelessness and reduce our ability likely to get federal funds. Because here's the thing, those folks, a lot of those panhandlers may have homes and they average $300 a month from panhandling income. But if they can no longer panhandle, they lose that and they become homeless. So we therefore make the, the, the situation worse.
0: Yeah, it's a shame to see. I think Jacksonville actually made some steps to criminalize panhandling uh, not too long ago. And I know that well-meaning people always talk about you know marrying resources with new enforcement, but uh, it's important to make sure that one doesn't get lost in the final deal.
1: And one is more expensive than the other. Uh, and people like to think they have cheap solutions. Resources is not the cheap one. And and I believe Jacksonville is in court about their ordinance. In fact, these ordinances are found to be unconstitutional in the most conservative federal appeals court. A recent Mississippi law against panhandling and public camping was struck down by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals in federal court, which is one of the most conservative. So even if we pass these, we're just going to run up legal bills defending it and losing Yeah,
0: uh, and we'll keep listeners uh, up to date on on where that is, because I think it's, it's, for me as a Florida person, it's right up there with beach access, public beach access. It's kind of a First Amendment issue, public spaces. Obviously, you know, this year we saw the county was willing to be a refuge in a place where Women's Voices of Southwest Florida and um, some other folks who are protesting the extreme near total six-week abortion ban that Governor DeSantis signed and that the legislature passed across the street you had dignitaries and peaceful protesters being arrested um, and having that you know, cracking skulls mentality. Would you describe the tension, zooming out a little bit, d- describe the tension between the city and the county and the state a little bit. I know it's kind of an abstract question, but just what comes to mind for you. You and I both work in a place that's really unusual and that we're seeing you know, um, three levels of government just staring right at each other. What does that do to a downtown?
1: You know, um, I'll, I'll dispense with the state really. You know, we have a a lobbyist we hire to represent us, and then we go and advocate for policies we want. But the state doesn't work with us at a legislative level, county by county, in huge issues. It's there's they're 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 preempting all counties. They're not necessarily preempting Leon County or the city of Tallahassee. So there's not as much direct interaction with the state um, as there is with the city because we do so much with the city. You know, a constituent calls me about an issue in my district, well, it's in the city. Well, then I I can't do anything necessarily on certain issues because it's at the city. And so I reach out to the city and say, hey, can you respond to this constituent? Then we're on joint commissions like Blueprint. Um, and then we're on joint issues like comprehensive plans. And then we have huge community issues like policing, violence, affordable housing, where we have separate authorities, but we should be working in concert. And so there's a tension at city hall I just, I'm glad many days I read the news and I come in and I say, I'm glad I work at the county. And so with the city, we just try to work as well as we can with them. We want to be a partner and, you know, I hope it continues that way. It is unfortunate. Maybe it's just self-bias, but I find that not on an elected official level, but in an institutional responsiveness level, our county is fantastic on on a customer service level, like solving a problem for a constituent. I have not had great success with the city, passing things on and saying, Hey, can you look into this issue for this constituent, this thing or that thing? And uh, maybe they're just focusing on something else. Maybe they do it in a way that I don't know, but it's, it's a good working relationship that I think the county does its part to try to keep working well. Um, but it can get real messy because it's two different bodies.
0: Well, you know, city hall, you know, they've only got three times the budget and they're asking for a millage property tax increase.
1: You know, and there's, I think there's part of that. I do think there's like big brother, little brother. I think there's there's personalities play in, which is unfortunate. And I think, and this is not again, this is not, well, I'll just stop prefacing because caveat free zone here, baby. That free zone is I think some people take personally, if they've been in this industry or this office or this service long, when new voices come in and say, hey, we need to do something different. Hey, we need to do something this way. We're not saying you're a failure and you're wrong and you're dumb. We're saying, like, okay, we have more information, there's new news, there's new technology, there's new research, we need to change things. But sometimes people can be very offended by that and it creates an unnecessary hurdle based on personality. I always try to work around that. That's a, one difference of being in office and being a candidate is remembering my language. Like, I want to convince these other commissioners that I need their votes on things. And I, if I don't have to, I prefer not to have them already mad at me before they listen to my arguments. But sometimes you, you can't avoid it.
0: Of course. There's never a progress without struggle. It must be an interesting challenge navigating that.
1: It is. Um, but honestly, it's when you get into that stuff, you know, we all went to high school and uh, it, it can be very similar. You know, we've talked about the, the
0: influence of developers at both levels, right? We've got to always face this sort of four-dimensional chess. But more in a, in a hand-to-hand combat level, did you see in the news where a major developer-oriented money man was proved to have written a
1: campaign kickoff for, for one of their chosen candidates? Have you seen this? You know, I did see that. I'm a loyal, talented Democrat subscriber, and I saw that. And you know, there's no harm in getting help, but uh, I was more surprised by the response by the candidate not just saying, Hey, yeah, this, this person is assisting They're, you know, they're an advisor. It's in the data, it's in the metadata. And I think, you know, I am always uh, you know, likely to make a mistake, a typo or something like that. And that's fine. But sometimes when you're up against big money, um, it's helpful when there's accidental incompetence. God help us if they were as competent as some of the non-money interests are.
0: Absolutely. Um, For those not familiar, this is a PAC chairman for a developer-oriented front group called Grow Tallahassee, which was found in our local newspaper to be writing press releases for an opponent to friend of the show, city commissioner uh, Jack Porter. And certainly, that will unfold more as uh, as we proceed into twenty twenty four. It starts already. It starts earlier and earlier, doesn't it?
1: It does. And and uh, you know, let me let me say this about that and about that um, person who helped write and and the candidate is. These are not necessarily bad or evil people. I'm going to go on the assumption that they believe what they're fighting for is best for the community. I'm going to go on the assumption that they're wrong, but that's their their thing. And it's just, you know, let's, let's put it in perspective. It's not wrong that someone helps somebody write a press release. It's wrong that you want to, you know, you're trying to keep a secret, but at least now we know by mistake, by their mistake, who is backing who. And that's their, if they're a developer and they want pro developer rules. They're going to advocate for that. We're not electing them. But when voters look, don't get distracted. You are voting for someone you want to represent you. You're never going to change the developer's interest, which is to advocate for themselves. But you change the people who control the rules on your behalf.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. It's nice. Accidentally or not, it's nice that the, uh, the true character of that candidacy has come out. Well, you know, I appreciate your support of the show. Uh, it's great to have you on. Um, I think you're the first listener that we've had on the show. Is there anything that you'd like to to leave us with, or is there anything that, as we head into the summer in this odd numbered year, that that's on your mind about anything?
1: Um, just that you know, uh, we talked about some of the negative parts of this, but and and people locally who watch, you know, some of our meetings and the chaos of it is. I think it's a good sign because. Before we had any new voices on any of these commissions, there was no discussion because the status quo just rubber stamped it and moved forward. But now people have to have this chaotic discussion because there's voices on it. And so now if we can get more um, like-minded representatives of people, then we can shift into it's less chaotic because we hold a majority. So we're getting there. Don't be discouraged. The other thing is Show up, if you're in Leon County or Tallahassee, show up to the community inputs on the comprehensive plan, which when they're scheduled, I will be blasting them out everywhere. And then um, of course, hurricane season just started. So be prepared uh, and build your bucket. And how many more do I get? Four? Uh, <laughs> as you want. I'll just say, you know, um, that's all. And it's been, it's great to step into a community of progressive fighters and local citizens who really care about this community and to have that support and to know that my position does not rely on walking any tight ropes. Um, And that gives me an ability to be very clear in in what I do and what I say and how I vote. And so thank you for that.
0: We appreciate your advocacy for your district and for our community at the state level uh, in those rooms very much. We appreciate you uh, and appreciate you coming on today, Commissioner.
1: And make sure that you go to the Patreon page and become a supporter of Tropical Depression uh, if you want to um, see this great work continue.
0: My man. Appreciate you, Commissioner. Thanks a lot for coming on. We'll have to do it again soon, David.
1: Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you, Ryan. Take care.